Um, she's part of the intricately linked Tan family. Her, young, her younger brother, Josh, works with me. Her older sister, Venice, married one of my oldest and best friends. And they themselves, uh, uh, her and her husband, uh, Gab, were actually on my bridal party. And every step of the way, um, she has proven herself to be a God-fearing young woman who's not afraid to follow his calling in her life and not afraid to tell others to do the same. In the Generation series, I was told that the young adults will be speaking to the youth. And I thought that, the, the initial thought was that was more, that was literally half a lifetime ago for me. So I thought it would be best for the youth to hear from someone who can actually remember her youth or her teen years. And I can't think of uh, a more fitting person than, than Audrey Go. So can everyone please join me in welcoming her to the pulpit for the first time? Hi everyone, <laughs> I'm going to stand up here just in case you can't see me, because I know that's pretty common. Uh, usually I can't see people, I wouldn't be sitting at the back of the sanctuary. Uh, <laughs> okay, so, how are we doing today? Awesome. Uh, I just want to quickly acknowledge the 1830 team. Um, I don't know what you see and appreciate here, but there's actually been a lot going on this week. Um, there's a whole army of people that have put together all the different pieces of today's service. And I also know that there has been a whole army of people who has been praying for me this week. So thank you, everyone. Um, I, as Mike has mentioned, my name is Audrey. And this year, I will be 27 years old. I was born in Malaysia, and I lived there until I was 15, before migrating to Melbourne, where I started attending FGA. I am married to a tall, dark, and handsome man named Gabriel. Um, <laughs> we've been married for two and a half years, and we've pretty much spent two and a half years annoying each other all the time. Um, and we are parents to a little furball named Chewy, short for Chewbacca. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's briefly about me. I do want to start, though, by thanking the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, Chris and Mike, for firstly trusting me to come up here and speak today, giving me the opportunity to speak and not say anything random. Um, <laughs> but also thank you for listening to God's voice. Auntie Peggy, who isn't here today but has played a massive role in my journey with God and me knowing uh, His Word, um, and Chris, who is an inspiring leader, just by being so real. I never get to tell you this, but I actually apply a lot of what you teach on a Sunday in my day-to-day. -day. Um, the concept of alelon, which is to give the other person a really good turn. That's a concept I have taught my team at work uh, when we're dealing through, like, working through conflicts and disagreements and stuff. Um, Pastor Roland and Auntie Evelyn, I know she's at home resting today, um, but I don't know if you remember, a few years ago you guys prayed for me when we were in YWAM, and you actually said that God was going to be refining my character. A little bit like how a coal kind of goes through a refinery to produce a diamond. I'm not really a diamond yet, um, <laughs> but maybe I'm in the making. <laughs> Um, I know Mayan isn't here as well, but she's been a great counsellor and support for me. Roger and Denise, you guys have always guided Gabriel and I through our relationship, so thank you very much. Um, and Quinton, my brother-in-law, who's up the back there, who ha was also once my boss, by the way. Um, <laughs> 
this is, family is so intertwined. Um, <laughs> um, I know I probably wasn't the easiest person to work with, but you've actually taught me a lot of things. Um, I, there are two sermons in particular that you have preached up here on stage that I remember very clearly. One was a couple years ago where you actually talked about us honoring and appreciating those who have gone before us, who have kind of set the path for us, prepared the way, so that we have an easier life now <laughs> where we are at. Um, and the second one was the one you preached two weeks ago. So simple and so practical and memorable. I've probably said it about a million times since that day. Today impacts tomorrow. I kind of like, I'm nagging all the young adults that I, that I <laughs> impact at the moment. So in comparison to the lineup of pastors that we have for this generation series, to say that I feel a little bit inadequate would be an understatement. Um, Public speaking doesn't really scare me. I kind of do it all the time at work as well. So accepting the challenge wasn't hard. It's more the daunting fact that I'm supposed to stand here in front of a church of people, probably 70% of whom are older than me, um, and actually talking to you about God's word. Um, so, and even I know that the kids are in service today. So let's pray, shall we? <laughs> um, Dear God, thank you that you are here with us today. Thank you that you are good and faithful and that you hear us when we call. Lord, let your will be done today. and Let the words I speak be words from you and be words that blesses the heart and soul of those who are here today and those who are listening even through Nick's amazing live stream. And God, may you reign in this time because this is yours. So may your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I grew up in a family with five children. This is how our family is interlinked, interlinked. This was us when Josh was just a few months old. And by 21st century standards, you can say this is a pretty big family. Um, I have three older sisters and a younger brother. And my current family size stands at 17, including partners and children. So this was us just a few weeks ago. My parents came to know the Lord just before they got married, and for as long as I can remember, my family, my siblings, everyone has been attending church and serving in church in various ministries. For those of you who know me, uh, or who have grown up with me, you would know what I'm like. Um, <laughs> but growing up, I have always been a very strong-willed person, very uh, determined, I guess you can say, in a nice way. Um, I thought I was a know-it-all. I was very opinionated. And I always wanted to do things my way. I was very proud, probably still am. Um, <laughs> and I always thought that my, my way is the best way, of course. Being the youngest of four girls, this is usually how my conversations with strangers would start out. Oh, so you must be Sonia's sister. Or Nicole's sister. Or, oh yeah, I know your sister, Venice. I was kind of really sick of it, really. Um, I was like, hello, this is Audrey. Just me. I don't have to be someone's sister. And I really wanted to make my mark in the world, kind of, in that way. Um, I wanted to show everyone that I was different. Um, even if I wanted to be a world changer, I was going to be a different world changer. Uh, if I was going to be a politician, I was going to be the first female president ever. Go power, yeah. That was like the kind of dreams I had. Um, <laughs> but don't worry, I'm not going to be a politician. First female president already taken. Um, but thankfully, I have very God-fearing parents who always prayed over each of their children. 
And who knows how many times my parents must have prayed tearfully to God, asking for help on how to deal with me. Um, thanks, Mom, Dad. Um, and for those of you here who maybe are struggling with your very strong-willed children, ask my parents for help. Ask them for some tips, maybe. Um, <laughs> but I think the key is to pray and to keep praying and just keep praying. Because who I am today uh, is really by God's will alone. I think only He can make me who I am today. Um, and of course, because of the good influences of those people that he has put in my life. Um, I didn't turn out to be just some strong-willed, rebellious, defiant child. I ended up being this really determined person. Um, <laughs> I guess you can say my strong-willedness um, kind of translated into a kind of a drive. So I'm a very can-do person. And I can and will get things done, as if you were in a Philippines mission trip this year, you would have seen as well. Um, <laughs> so this trait, I mean, being strong-willed, it's actually not a very bad thing, I, I don't think. Um, <laughs> even though you as a parent, you might feel like it is right now, just kind of hang in there. Um, there is hope. <laughs> um, it's not the best, it's definitely not the worst. So somewhere along the way, in one of the Sunday school lessons, probably, or Sunday, Sunday services that I attended with my family, I learned about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, he was praying in the garden just before he was arrested, um, and they were going to crucify him on the cross. Uh, let's look at it here. Luke 22, verse 42. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. That became and has been my prayer, despite whatever situation I am going through. And it has not been easy living out this prayer. But I am here today to talk to you, uh, the youth especially. If you're in fungus, can you give me a shout? Good, I have your attention. <laughs> I am speaking to you today about making this prayer your prayer and living it out. And I will go through a bit of what that looks like in my life. And my heart for you today is that you will go away and always remember to submit to God at the end of each day with, not my will, but yours be done. Can you say it with me? Adults, kids, youth. Every time I say, I'm going to say this a few times throughout the sermon. Every time I say, not my will, but yours be done, you say? Amen. Or you repeat after me, not my will, but yours be done. <laughs> but amen is good too. <laughs> Can you repeat after me? Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Awesome. So the world as we know it today is full of messages to the younger generation. And I can sum all those messages into three words. Write your story. Jump onto Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, wherever on social media, and there are stories. It's all about you as an individual, who you are, what you just ate, where you holiday, what you're eating, what you're wearing, what you're doing. It's all about you as an individual and how many comments you can get, how much likes you can get, um, how many shares you can get. It's all about going viral and making a name for yourself, all on social media. Maybe one day they might elect a president based on how many likes they get on Facebook, I don't know. Um, but also all their fashion trends are taken off social media. All the latest in things to do. I don't know, there was one point of time girls really liked drawing rectangular shapes on their eyebrows, which looked a bit ridiculous. 
Um, and then there are also this trend of sharing memes all over the place, and then there are sharing memes about sharing memes. I don't know if you know what a meme is, but this may be one good one that might relate to you. <laughs> that's a meme, that's an example of a meme, where you kind of take a picture and then you just change the m meaning of it or add words to it. So not only is social media actually telling us to write your story, uh, you walk into a stationary store like Kiki K or Typo, if you're the kind to ever walk into to those stores, there are cups, books, pens, paper, everything that's telling you to write your story. Um, and this thing is actually affecting a lot of areas of life. And you might think at first, write your story. It doesn't sound that harmless though, does it? But it's actually affecting constitutions like weddings, marriages, work life, schooling, a whole range of stuff. Even the term YOLO, uh, for you only live once, was coined to tell people to, pe to people tell people to pretty much do whatever you want. Take the risk, carpe diem. Seriously, just live your life. Um, even weddings, brochures, catalogs, and things like that will be telling you, you know, just go for it. Do, do whatever rules you, make, what, make up your rules. And I'm a trained English teacher. Even the English that this generation use these days are appalling. I have to shake my head. Um, if you don't understand some of the English words that they use these days, I have a quick video that might give you a quick example and explain what they are. Here it is, take a look. Hello, this is Kim Huat, Singapore number one millenniums fan. Today, I will share with you the meanings of some of the slangs used by these young people's called millenniums. Millenniums got many stylo slang ones. Here are some of them. I can't even. It's when you cannot take it out. Sometimes you see something very stupid, you say, I can't even. But you have to be very careful when you use this word. Because sometimes people don't understand. So you say, I can't even. They look at you and they say, you can't even what? Then you will be forced to say, you don't even understand what is I can't even? I can't even. Savage AF. It means very brutal. Uh, AF uh, stands for SF star star star. I don't know how to pronounce this word. Uh, and I don't understand the meaning. Uh. These millenniums uh, got very funny words. Uh. What is F star star star? Crying. Crying means funny. I don't know why millenniums want to use crying for meaning of funny. Shouldn't it be ha-haing? Crying is sad, what? Dead. Dead means si kiao kiao la. But millenniums, it means very, 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 very funny. It's another level la. Crying is one level of funny. Dead is second level of funny. Third level is maybe decomposing la. Extra. Millenniums like to use this word extra. It means over the top la. Or trying too hard. Like, hey, you wear this hat ah, Extra la. But ho, if you go national service, uh, extra got another meaning. You, know? you don't go up to your platoon sergeant and tell him, Sergeant, you wear extra. Then. He will give you many, many extra. Then you will be crying. And the other meaning of dead. Squad goals. Squad is your group of friends. La. Squad goals eh, is like, it's what you want your group of friends to accomplish. La. For example, you see the social influencer music video. They eat all the free food and drive the Maserati. You might say, hashtag squad goals. In the army, squad goal is the mission your platoon sergeant want your session to accomplish. Gentlemen, you see the tree at the top of the hill? You chung up there, touch the tree, and come back. Hashtag squad goals. 
no chill. No chill means you're not calm anymore. You're irrational. Like also mean your aircon is spoiled. Wow, when my aircon is no chill, I am no chill. Triggered. Triggered is means you are very offended or your feelings very hurt by something you suddenly see or hear or experience. For example, when the auntie in the kopitiam order for me kopi kosong when I want kopi peng or when I told the bachong me, I don't want the tukwa but he still put tukwa in my bachong me or government suddenly closed down Sungai Road Thieves Market just like that 80 years there hashtag triggered sus sus is means suspicious or suspect it's like a, a short form lah. because millenniums are a bit like lazy lah. I like to short form everything suspicious two more syllables so cannot say called sus. This photo is quite sus. Uh, Marine Parade Town Council. Own self, check own self. Ah. Quite sus, right? Low key. Low key is means secretly. Like, I low key like to watch the Taiwanese romantic movie starring Lin Qingxia and Qin Han. Sometimes, Lin Fengjiao and Qin Han. Basically, a lot of girl and Qin Han. Ah. I also low key like Beauty and the Beast. And this photo remind me of that movie. Barely even friends, then somebody bends unexpectedly. All right. <laughs> yeah. So I may not be super funny, that's why I had to enlist some help. Um, <laughs> Sometimes I actually wonder whether the, the youth who use these terms even know what the original meanings of these words are. Like, I don't know, I don't get it. Um, <laughs> there's a dictionary for a reason. Don't be so extra and change meanings of the words, please. What I'm really trying to say here, though, is that literally every facet of life is currently fluid. Uh, the current, now the trend is to not follow the rules. Um, that's the new rule, you know? And more and more, Everything is just kind of changing, the lines are blurred. It's not really that bad, to be honest. Um, there's actually been a lot of creativity in my generation, a lot of innovative ways of growing businesses, making the world a better place. There are also a lot more entrepreneurs um, in my generation, mostly probably because, because they can't accept instruction from older people. Um, but that's a topic for another time. Um, but where is God's will in all of this? Have you asked yourself, high schoolers? Have you asked yourself, what is God's will for your life? And how will you know it? And when you know it, will you allow him to lead you? And will you live it out? When I was in year 12, so when Mike says I remember my teenage years, I, I remember my last um, year in high school. <laughs> when I was in year 12 studying for VCE, as I'm sure a lot of you students here uh, would be going through now or will be in the next few years, I was trying to do the very Asian thing of aiming for a 99.95 ATA score, ATA which is like the final score of your schooling year exam. Trying to be a doctor maybe, study medicine, I don't know, just the Asian thing. Um, <laughs> even though deep down I knew that really wasn't what I wanted to do. So, ooh, sorry. So when I finally decided um, that um, that was not going to happen, I had to ask myself, what do I want to do? Um, and if you're in high school now, brace yourself and get your bearings right because you have some pretty major decisions coming up your way in the next few years of your life. 
the world is going to come and they're going to feed you with a lot of opinions and beliefs to how you should live your life. But you need to decide now who's going to take that for you, who's going to decide that for you, okay? So you see, thinking about which uni course I wanted to study uh, when I got to uni would obviously affect what job I would get after I finish uni. I'm, I'm a planner, so I had to plan ahead. And thinking about which uni course I was going to do would then decide the minimum ATAR VCE score I needed to get. And if you've been in year 12 before, or would be soon, you would know this. People start to, when they get closer to exam, they start to panic a little. And then they start to think, okay, if this is my minimum ATAR score, what is my minimum score for each individual subjects? And you start to do some calculations there. Um, but by the time I had landed my eyes on a particular course, it was going to be mass media communications at RMIT. And it needed an ATAR score of like 93 or something like that. And in the lead up to getting my VCE results, I was a complete wreck. I probably spent a whole night crying with my dad because I was so afraid of failure. And my definition of failure was not getting the score I wanted to get, Asian. Um, <laughs> I had hoped for at least a minimum of 90 on the ATAR score. And I was very disappointed, very disappointed with my results. I got 89. Um, you know, it's that it's worst feeling. You're like almost there, but you didn't really get it. I then spent the next four weeks um, because after you get your results, there's four weeks uh, leeway before you get an offer from the university. So I spent the next four weeks praying um, to God. One day it was, God, help me get into RMIT, even though I knew I probably wasn't going to get it. Next day it would be, God, help me get into Melbourne Uni to study Bachelor of Arts. And then the next day it would be back to RMIT again. And amongst all of that, I think I was just really confused. I was very uncertain of the future. Um, it's just a waiting game. You, you never know who's going to offer you a course. You don't know if you're going to get into a course. Um, and er everything's just kind of in the air in terms of my future. I had to keep on saying, you know what, God? At the end of the day, not my will, but yours be done. Yes. I ended up accepting um, an offer to study Bachelor of Arts at Melbourne Uni. And about three weeks into my course, I remember being in class, we discussed something, I left it and I actually just felt this feeling of peace. I was right where God wanted me to be. There wasn't anywhere else I should be right now. Like it was just that assurance um, that I was right where he needed me to be. And that was the best feeling ever, actually. I soaked it in. I enjoyed the next three years of my life doing my bachelor's degree, and I didn't even want to leave uni. But let's pause for a moment. I won't continue my story for too long. And let's take a look at Joseph's story. Joseph in Genesis 37. Joseph's dreams. Joseph's dreams. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Zilpah, Bilpah, Bilhah, Bil, Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was a son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, 
Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and, sis- and, brothers, sorry, and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his brothers and his father, uh, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. If you know the story of Joseph, he later gets sold into slavery by his own brothers. He gets sent to Egypt to be a slave in Potiphar's house. Potiphar is an officer of Pharaoh. And we'll read here in Genesis 39. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and all over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. I don't know about you, but if I were in Joseph's shoes and that happened to me, I'm not so sure I could live out. God's will. Joseph could have then literally just said, God, why did you give me those dreams and now I'm a slave? That's it. I'm not going to live out your will anymore. And make note here, Joseph was only 17. He was young, probably a bit foolish, maybe a little bit of a know-it-all, something I can relate to. Um, Probably proud too. (laughs) And he had just told his brothers and his father about these dreams that he had. To find himself as a slave in Potiphar's house, the Hawkins would say Paisi. It's very shameful. You, can't, you don't even know where to look. Um, but how do you live out God's will? And I want to highlight it here in Genesis 39. But basically, not my will but yours be done. To do that, you need to know God. Why do I say you need to know God? Because you see, in this story, it says the Lord was with Joseph in verse 2, and in verse 3, the Lord was with him. How is the Lord with him? You know, in John 15, it says, abide in me and I abide in you. And in verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Youth... Where you are at now, actually anyone, wherever you are at now, except maybe if you're 60 and above, um, retired with grandkids and all that stuff, wherever you're at, you have more time than you ever will have in the next year of your life. Every year you get older, you get busier. If you're in high school, the time to get to know God is now. Invest your time learning God's word, learning who he is, getting to know who who he really is and what he wants for you. Um, don't waste your time on social media, waiting for likes, sharing memes, all of that stuff. But actually spend your time investing in, in time with God. 
um, spend your time investing in people who can help you get to know God. I did that in my youth, um, you know, attended a lot of camps, did a Hillsong conference, I did kids ministry, all that stuff. You know, I, I actually allowed myself to, to receive teachings about God's word. And that led me to that place where I could be in my bachelor's degree, knowing, really fully knowing that this is right where God wants me to be. I can't know his voice unless I know what his voice is. And I can't know his voice unless I spend time with him. And that's what you need to do in your high school years as well. Um, Joseph, finding himself in Potiphar's house, really wasn't what he had in mind. Maybe a little bit like how I didn't expect myself to be doing a Bachelor of Arts in Melbourne Uni. But I think we both kind of knew, Joseph and I, in a way, I can speak for Joseph's behalf. <laughs> um, Joseph and I found ourselves where we felt God wanted us to be. Um, so you might be wondering what happened after I finished my bachelor's degree. Well, because I didn't want to leave uni yet, I ended up feeling like God was calling me to do a master's in teaching, um, also at Melbourne Uni, um, and I wanted to teach secondary school students. I know what you must be thinking. She's so small. Won't, she, won't they all tower over her? Uh, you, I won't say that you're wrong because even my year seven students were either my height or taller than me. But I wasn't deterred. I actually really enjoy teaching in secondary school. Um, reasons why I wanted to pursue secondary teaching. One, I was a bit scarred from Sunday school, teaching primary school kids. <laughs> Sorry, kids. Um, and secondly, my oldest sister, Sonia, was doing early childhood, so no way was I going to do the same because I wanted it to be different. Um, and funnily enough, I actually didn't get accepted into the Masters of Teaching course. I had my year planned out. I was going to go back to uni and just do that. So when I got a rejection letter, I spent about a day, completely days, and I asked God, uh, what's plan B? And God said to me, email and inquire about your enrollment. When I did, the acceptance officer found out that they actually made a mistake on, my, on the review of my application, and then I got accepted to, to the course. That, again, is a sign. You know, like you have to know God's voice to be able to hear it. And then you can do some of these little things, like even so simple as inquiring to e and emailing about your enrollment. But fast forward to when I actually started my course, and it was really, really crazy hectic. Um, a normal full-time uni course is four units per semester, four subjects per semester. I was doing six. Um, it was a really, really busy year, but despite that, I remember again, one day in class and another time when I was walking through the school halls after recess, it was just this feeling of fullness and peace that I was right where God wanted me to be. At that point of time, I actually felt like my whole life was preparing me to be a teacher. I have a really loud, booming voice as well, and I found it came very handy when I was a teacher because you need to speak over a whole classroom of students. Um, <laughs> so nothing felt more right at that point. You know, like I didn't feel like there was something I really wanted to do in my life until then. And I was like, right, great, I'm going to be a teacher. But then I finished my course. And then I couldn't get a job. And I kept hitting roadblocks after roadblocks. It was things like, you are up against 120 applicants. I'm sorry you are not offered a job. Like, that was pretty tough. I, I, I really questioned God in that time. I said, uh, I've just dedicated one entire year of my life. I've had the toughest year of my life. You made me feel like teaching was the right thing to do. 
why is that not happening? What is going on, God? I don't, I don't like the looks of your plans right now. And that time, it was so hard for me to still say, not my will, but yours be done. Because back then, I was saying, my will be done, my will be done, my will be done. I wanted a job. I wanted to teach. I was so ready to go into schools, make a huge difference, you know, as a teacher. <laughs> um, be, that, be the fun teacher that has the best classes. I want to do all those stuff. I was ready. Why couldn't I do it? God ended up calling me to where I am now, which is in the childcare industry, the industry I didn't want to be in because that's where my sister was. Um, <laughs> and I'm managing a childcare center that's owned by my in-laws. Uh, so some of you may know Peter and Jessica Go. And I manage the operations of the center. So I look after about 100 children across a week and about 25 employees' well-being um, across the board. And I was waiting over my head. I was managing adults and managing a childcare center, two things I've never had any experience doing. The most experience I've had was actually leading Excite, team of volunteers in Sunday school. Um, so this was getting pretty tough, to be honest. Um, I, I ended up having to spend six months of my first stint um, doing this job in childcare, really crying out to God. It was every other week, if not every other day, and this was not the very funny kind of crying. Um, and I just, I literally spent six months singing that ocean's song and that, bri and that bridge. Um, and I, I really didn't feel like this is where I wanted to be. I kept asking God about the greener grass on the other side, the side that involves secondary teaching. And it took me six months before I realized uh, what God was doing in me. I still didn't feel like I was in the place I wanted to be, I wanted to be. Um, but he, he showed me that he was using my skill as a teacher uh, in my role as a manager. So a lot of things like explaining information to staff, that was what I was doing a lot of, um, and helping them to build up their uh, professional uh, practice as well. There was a lot of, that's a lot of what I do uh, in my day-to-day. -day. I have been working in this role for four years um, now, and I've been able to make changes and improvements to the center as a whole, which has then improved the service um, that we provide to the families and the children. And I also wanted to be a different kind of boss. <laughs> this is the young Audrey in me. I have to be very careful with how I act, what I say and what I do, um, by being very intentionally open about my walk with Jesus um, to my uh, colleagues and my employees. I also realized that I held in my hands the well-being of people. Um, if you're an adult here and you're working, I'm sure you can relate. If you have a good boss, chances of you enjoying your work and wanting to go to work every day will be very high. But if you had a very difficult boss, you'd probably drag your feet to work all the time. That having, knowing that I, I'm that person, I'm that like thermostat for these people at work and determining whether they enjoy their work became that responsibility that I held on to. Um, and I wanted to make a difference there. But let's come back to Joseph's story for a bit. If you know Joseph's story, after finding success in Potiphar's house, he ended up getting thrown in jail. He was wrongly accused, gets thrown in jail, spends another few years there. 
Um, even while he was in jail, he found favor with the prison guard. And it says here again in 39, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Pretty much what Joseph was doing by this time, he was managing the prison on behalf of the prison warden. Have you ever heard of that kind of thing happening? You're giving a prisoner the responsibility of running a prison. Um, on top of that, when Pharaoh's cupbearer and chief baker was sent to prison, they also um, they had dreams and they didn't know how to interpret it. And they were a bit downcast, they were a bit puzzled. Joseph showed them compassion and asked what was wrong. And they said, here, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. He immediately attributes that ability to interpret dreams to God straight away. He doesn't even try and do it on his own. And later on, another few years after, when Pharaoh asks him to interpret his dreams, he says again, it is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You know, by the time Joseph was given authority over the land of Egypt, he was 30 years old. And no one in the land of Egypt had a higher position than uh, him besides Pharaoh. His brothers ended up coming to Egypt to find him, to get food, because they were having a famine, and his brothers were bowing down to him. It was just like in his dream that he had when he was 17 years old. You know, the Bible doesn't record the amounts of times that Joseph complained. Thank God, he was if he's recording the amounts of time I complained. <laughs> but the Bible records the amounts of times that Joseph trusted God and continued giving glory to God. So even when he revealed himself to his brothers, um, you'll see here in Genesis 45, verse 5, For God sent me before you to preserve life, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of all his house, and ruler over the land of Egypt. So how does one live out, not my will, but yours be done? Trust God. I know, much easier said than done. Trust me, I know. <laughs> but trust God. Trust that he knows your heart. Trust that he will provide. Trust him to be your source of hope and strength, even if you are struggling and you're feeling stuck. And trust him to know your dreams. When Joseph first arrived into Egypt as a slave, Joseph could have been sold to a different master who treated him very poorly. Joseph could also have been sent to prison with a very heartless prison warden who didn't even bat an eye at his survival or his life. But if you look at it, both times Joseph had a pretty good you know, outcome with both in Potiphar's house as well as in prison. And even for us to make this comparison now, it's a reflection of past events. When Joseph was in that moment, well, we are each in our own situation, it's very hard to see the positives. It's very hard to see a way out of the struggle that you're in. But wait, trust God. You know, don't write it off just yet. His plans are far bigger than your plans and his ways are far higher than your ways. I guess you can say in both Joseph's and my story, 
God took us the roundabout way. Uh, we went through a lot of detours, probably for the purposes of faith and character building. Um, if God took me to where I am now straight away without making me go through all that struggle and turmoil and stuff, I probably wouldn't be who I am today. But just remember that, like, even the place that you dream about, uh, God will bring you there. But first, you must know Him, and secondly, you must trust Him. In Matthew 6, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, like clothes, like food, which is mentioned in the passage, maybe even a job or a uni course, you know, will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you know me, I know I probably complain a lot about my job. Not because it's really bad, it's just really stressful sometimes. People are sometimes very lovely. Thanks, Roger. <laughs> um, Gabriel's parents, who I work with, have been a wonderful support, uh, for, a wonderful support for me, and my staff team are actually generally very good. Um, and in my role, I've been able to share faith-filled encouragements um, and also pray with some of the parents I deal with as well as some of my employees. I have encouraged and prayed with people who have gone through unemployment in the family, separation and divorce, cancer, death, depression. I can never, ever imagine that I would be where I am today. I'm 27 years old. I haven't even gone through half of that stuff. But God has placed me in a position where I'm able to help people with those things. Ten years ago, if you told me I'll be in childcare doing this stuff, like, no way. And 13 years before Joseph rose to power in Egypt, if you told him that was what he was going to do, I think getting thrown and sold into slavery would have been the least of his worries. So write your story. You don't have to follow the rules. And you definitely don't have to follow what the world does. But let God write your story. With you or for you, that's completely up to you. But let him. And no, I don't mean just go with the flow. If you see Joseph's story, he knew God. So spend time knowing God. He trusted God. And he worked hard. Everything that God gave him, he made the best out of every situation he could have. And he gave God his best. So... You never know what God is preparing you for. That's why I'm telling you this. I know that this passion of mine to teach is still unfolding. Um, for what? I don't know. <laughs> but I know that God knows my heart. And I know that God knew Joseph's heart. And I know that God knows yours. And he remembers your dreams just like he remembers mine. And whenever I think he's forgotten about them, he reminds me that he remembers my dreams. <laughs> So, yeah, I'm, I'll close soon. I know we're getting on with time. But did you know that the biggest decisions in your life will happen between the age of 18 and 30? You're going to make decisions about uni, about work, about a life partner, maybe a place to get married, maybe a place to buy a house, maybe even children if you're planning on starting a family that young. And the world is definitely going to feed you with opinions and beliefs, books, best-selling books, all of that stuff, maybe memes and articles as well, about how you should do them, how you should live out your life. I came across this quote the other day, and I thought it very fitting. On matters of style, swim with the current. On matters of principle, stand like a rock. 
Let your principles be grounded in God. Talk to your parents. Ask them what their principles are. Talk to the older uncles and aunties in the church. I'm sure they're more than happy to tell you their story, right? Um, let your principles be grounded in God. I still struggle all the time with God, and I wrestle with His will for my life. I'm still stubborn. I'm mostly very proud, and I'm very set on my own plans. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it is still going to be not my will, but yours be done. And I know that ultimately, he must win. Every struggle and every wrestle I have with him, I must let him win. Will you do the same? You as a parent with a difficult child, you as a husband or wife with a difficult spouse, an employee in a difficult workplace, a student at uni or in high school who is feeling pretty stuck about your course, like you don't see a point in what you're doing, do this season well and allow God to help you build your character by knowing him, trusting him, and then giving him your best. Because you never know what he is preparing you for. There is something bigger. There is definitely something bigger. Because where you are now is not your final destination. Let me close in prayer. God, we thank you for your word today. I pray that your, the hearts of your people will continue to be attuned to yours. Help them to know you, help them to grow in their faith in you, and help them to live a life that submits to your will for them. Help them to live out, not my will, but yours be done, despite how difficult things may be, and even more so despite how easy things may seem. God, we lift up our lives to you so that your name alone may be glorified. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.